Well, good morning. When you hear the word darkness, rhetorical question, what comes to mind? You know, there's a lot of different kinds of darkness. There's different experiences and emotions attached to that word and that experience. I'm going to kind of walk you through a couple different examples this morning. One is this town in Alaska. I won't try to pronounce the name because I really have no idea. Um, But uh, this town in Alaska is north of the Arctic Circle. And in November, the sun sets there and it doesn't rise again until February. They go 66 days without the sun rising. They do experience a little bit of glow. You can kind of see it in the sky there. That period between um, when light arrives and the sun comes up and when the sun goes down and it becomes black, they experience that, but they never see the sun in the sky for 66 days. And I read an interview with a, a citizen of that town who said that he longs for the dawn. And I thought that was just a powerful um, phrase and reminder of what it means to to walk in darkness. There's also experiences where you walk into places that can become really dark. This picture right here is from Carlsbad Caverns, and my grandparents lived in eastern New Mexico, and we would go visit them, and then we would go visit Carlsbad Caverns. We walk in these huge underground rooms, and our tour guide would say, okay, everybody stand still, and they would turn off the lights. And he didn't need to give us the instruction because no one was moving. We were all terrified, um, whether you were afraid of the dark or not. You add in those bats, and it just was too much. Uh, but, but that darkness in the cavern, it was, it was thick. You could almost like cut it with a knife. It was just an overwhelming feeling of darkness. Then there's the feelings of darkness when you have a power outage. That's what this image is right here. And the, and the power goes out, you have no light, and you feel completely out of control. This week I was traveling. My wife woke me up at 4 a.m. where I was, and she's like, hey, I don't have enough internet service to figure out what's going on. Can you go online and figure out? And so the power was out for them for a couple of hours. But you feel out of control in that kind of darkness. Well, then there's the kind of darkness that often comes inside of us. And we use words for that like depression, anxiety, panic. And that darkness can feel overwhelming. It can feel suffocating. It can feel like there's a giant elephant sitting on your chest. It can feel like it's completely destroyed your hope. And here's the thing that I've found when it comes to darkness. I think we know the darkness better than we know the light. And because of this, I think that it's really important that when we start this message today, we connect to that experience. Because I think regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, Regardless of how long you've been attending church on Sunday mornings, I think all of us have real and personal experiences with darkness. Sometimes it feels like it's within us. Sometimes it feels like it's around us. But because this is our reality, what we're going to learn from Jesus today is not just theory. It's real and it's relevant. As the video indicated to you, we're in a series where we're looking at who Jesus is. We're examining the fact that people have lots of different things that they say and believe about Jesus. Some of those are formed by their experience, where they grew up, who they grew up around. Some of them are informed by things they've read or heard or seen in movies and documentaries. Some people's experience of Jesus comes from experiencing his followers. 
But we're looking at what did Jesus say about himself? Who did he say that he was? And in the book of John, seven different times, Jesus describes himself using a phrase, I am, and then he finishes the sentence. And he uses these really um, tangible images for people. Last week, we discussed, I am the bread of life. Jesus' statement there that he wasn't just physical food, but he sought to bring eternal satisfaction to needs. And I encouraged you as you went throughout your week, whenever you saw bread, to pause and say, Jesus, you are the bread of my life. You are the source of my life. I kind of use that as justification to eat more bread this week. I don't know about you, um, but it was a good week in that sense. Uh, We also started a reading plan last week, and so there's still time to jump in. We're taking off every Saturday and Sunday. So if you've already fallen behind, you have time to catch up this weekend. And if you haven't started, you can just skip those catch-up days. And in a couple weeks, you'll be caught up. Out in the lobby, you can get one of these cards. And then you can also go online to prestedcornerstone.com slash resources. But today, as you saw in the title, if you have a copy of the sermon handout, today's phrase, today's statement is, I am the light of the world. And here's the big idea. That Jesus came for people living in darkness. If we know the darkness better than we know the light, then we are the exact people that Jesus came for. And his statement, I am the light of the world, is especially real and relevant for us. Now we're going to dive into the scriptures where Jesus said that. So that means we're going to be in the book of John chapter So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you're new to the Bible, that's okay. No one's looking around, counting how many seconds it takes for you to find John 8. Just turn to the beginning of your Bible. There's an index. You'll find John under the New Testament section. Or if you have a digital Bible, just scroll. It's in the last third of the books of the Bible. It's after the book of Luke and before the book of Acts. I realize it's a little bit longer passage, but I do want to honor God's word regardless of the length. And so I invite you to stand with us this morning. You can follow along on the screen as I read. Our friend Kelly will advance those for us. John 8, 12 begins, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and my father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. And I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Well, then they asked him, where is your Father? You know neither me nor my Father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple. But no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And then he said to them, I'm going away, and you'll look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jew said again, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You are from below and I am from above. You are from this world and I am not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They questioned. 
Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true. What you've heard and what you've, I've heard from him, these things I tell the world. They did not know that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Jesus, we pray that we would not miss what you're saying to us today. So many of us are walking and experiencing darkness today. We need your light. We pray that our hearts would be open to receive it. And I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Thanks for digging into that longer passage today. I know that was a little bit longer than normal. But I wanted you to understand the full sense of what's happening here. And and before we dive into points and lessons, I want you to understand what's going on. And whenever it comes to a book or a movie or a story, one of the principles that you may have learned all the way back in English class or if you took a film class at some point, is that to understand a story, you must understand the setting. Every story has a setting and it impacts and influences the story. And the setting of John 8, 12 through 30, is that this passage is coming right on the heels of the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feasts of Booths. There were a number of festivals that God had commanded his people to celebrate that they might be reminded, that they might not forget what God had done for them in the past, who he was and who he was promising to be for them in the future. And so in the Feast of Tabernacles, people would leave their homes, they would build small structures like this, a booth, a tent, and they would move out of their homes and live in that space for a short amount of days, less than a week. And living in that tent or that little um, structure was a reminder of the fact that their ancestors had lived in tents while they wandered in the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land. Now, over time, like with any festival or tradition, sometimes things get added on. In your house, when it comes to Easter or a holiday like Christmas or Thanksgiving, each year you may kind of add different traditions along the way. And the people had added other traditions, not that God had commanded, but that they thought helped them to also remember. One of them was they would, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam, which is a part of a Another moment in Jesus' life that's significant, they would grab water from that and they would come into the temple and they would pour it out as a symbol that God poured out water from the rock to give them something to drink in the wilderness. Also, at night, the priest would set up a a candelabra. This is a, a menorah, like from Hanukkah. It's a smaller one they would use. It only had four candles. But they would light this candelabra as a symbol of the fact that God guided them through the desert with a pillar of fire at night. And the whole city would be lit up by these giant candles and this oil during the period of the Feast of Tabernacles. And then when the feast came to an end, they would extinguish the light as a symbol that they were waiting for the Messiah. Now, all of that is the context 
of what we're about to read when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And we know that he was speaking in the temple because it tells us in verse 19 where he was in relationship to the treasury. So with that setting, let's look at what was Jesus actually saying? Well, the first thing Jesus is saying is that people are living in darkness. Jesus is acknowledging what we started with, that people are more familiar and they know better the darkness than the light. And Jesus comes and announces himself as the light of the world to a people who are walking and living in darkness. And that darkness looks different for different people. There's a couple different kinds of experiences I want to highlight. There are those people who think they are enlightened, but the light that is in them is darkness. So there are people who are like, I'm not in the dark. I'm actually fairly enlightened. I'm, an, I'm a, a person of the light. But the truth is the light that they think is light in them is actually darkness. Jesus speaks to this in his longest message, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We pick it up in Matthew 6, where he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? As humans, all of us have different skills. There are certain things you're good at that I'm terrible at. There are certain things that I'm good at that maybe you're terrible at. Sometimes you think you should all be good at everything. That's just not true. Uh, I'm not really handy around the house. I feel a little bit inadequate. I go to my buddy's house and his whole garage is filled with tools. I just have a small section in my garage that my buddies call pastor tools, which is kind of a put down. Um, but they're not that far off from the truth. And so I don't deceive myself. I don't take on projects and then I have to come to have, call somebody and say, come save me from the project. I just kind of stay away. I call somebody before I start. I'm not deceiving myself. But there are other areas where I tend to think I'm better than I actually am. And as humans, no matter what, we're good at something or not good at something, we are all good at deceiving ourselves. We're all good at deceiving ourselves. And so Jesus says, if the light within you is darkness, if you think you're in the light and you're actually in the dark, how deep is that darkness? Like, if it's not just, hey, you're in the dark and you get it, but you think you're in the light and you're actually the dark, how deep does that self-deception go? In commenting on this, commentator Warren Wiersbe said, the, the people in this era had light in their temple but they had spiritual darkness in their minds and their hearts. They thought they were celebrating the light that was Jesus, but when Jesus shows up with them, they reject him and push him away. They had a festival where they celebrated light, but they missed the light when he was standing right in front of them. There's also people who are in darkness and they're despairing. And maybe some of you today. When I mention there's some of us who know darkness better than we know light, you're like, yeah, that's me. And it's crushing me. And I'm not sure I can believe that I could ever walk in light because I continue to struggle with the darkness. That's why not all darkness is created equal. I went to a movie this weekend. When the lights went down and the darkness started, I was excited because I wanted to see the movie. 
There are others of you, when the darkness comes in, you're not excited, you despair. There's a period of time where I wrestled with significant anxiety and panic at night. When the sun would go down and the lights would go out, it was like, hey, time for panic attacks. And that darkness left me in a place of despair because I felt completely out of control. I didn't know where that stuff was coming from and I didn't know how to make it leave. And for some of you, you're walking in darkness and it has left you in a place of hopelessness. Well, there's also people who once walked in darkness, but now they've experienced the light. And maybe and then maybe you. Maybe you once knew darkness better than you know light but that's who you used to be. And today you're somebody who has walked in darkness, but now you walk in light. And that light has changed how you see the world. If you've ever been out on a pier at the ocean, you know they have these little um, binocular sets on the side of the pier. And for this one, I think it's just 25 cents. You can change radically your vision of what you're seeing. And that's what Jesus came to do. Not for 25 cents. No, it cost him a lot more than that. It cost him his life. He gave his life that we might experience light, that not only we might change how we see the world, but we also change how we see ourselves and how we see him. So Jesus is saying, first and foremost, that there are a people who are living in darkness. That was true then, And it is certainly true now. The second thing he's saying is that he comes as light to those who've only known darkness. See, if if light could be found in a way that freed us from darkness, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. But he comes as the one that had not yet come that we needed And he articulates this in John 8, 12, where he says, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he opens up his invitation to anyone and everyone who has experienced darkness. Now notice what he's saying here and what he's not saying here, because I think this verse has been abused in the past and misunderstood in the past. What he's not saying is that anyone who follows me will never experience darkness. Because following Jesus is not a get out of darkness free pass. It is not a never face darkness pass. It is anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That as we walk through darkness, we have his light. So I just want to encourage you, if you're like, Scott, this must have just not taken when I accepted Jesus because I'm walking through a dark season or I'm facing darkness within me. No, that's not what he said. He did not promise you that once you experienced his light, you would never ever experience darkness again. Followers of Jesus live in a dark and fallen world. Followers of Jesus struggle with things that feel like darkness, but what we have with us is his light the light of life. In the next section, what we didn't read, if you kept reading into John 9, you would read a little bit more of what he talks about. And he says, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Jesus continues to repeat himself over and over and over again, reminding us that he is the light of the world. But he doesn't stop there. And some of you, because you know scripture, you know what Jesus said. He didn't just say that he was the light of the world. He said that those who stepped into his light and received his light, that they become like him. In Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden, and no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus comes for those who've only known darkness because he is light, and then he goes to a place that a lot of us can't conceive when we're in darkness. Not only does he say, I am the light, but then he goes, I am the light, and you can have my light, and you can actually be light. Now, I know for some of you, that is completely unbelievable. Because you have known darkness so much that it's hard for you to struggle to believe that you could actually experience light, and the idea that you could be light is just a bridge too far. But I just want to remind you of something, that sometimes our perspective is incomplete and inaccurate. When you get in your car to drive home today, you are going to see on either side of your car side view mirrors. Everybody has seen one of these before. If your car doesn't have them, just warn us. We'll stay away from you because you can't see us in your blind spot. They stopped doing this when they added all these cool features on the side mirrors. Now your side mirrors tell you if someone's in your blind spot, like the the steering wheel vibrates or a little light pops up in the mirror. You can see in somebody else's mirror when the, the turn thing is clicking. But old school, when I started getting excited to sit in the front seat of my dad's car, I noticed at the bottom of the mirror there was a sentence. And it said, objects in mirror are closer than they appear. And what it's saying is that the things that seem so far away in your past, behind you, they can actually be closer than you realize. And I think the same thing is true in the vision that God has for you. That there are certain things that you think are so far away, you could never reach them. That you could never be light. But God not only comes in the form of a man named Jesus— to be our savior, to be our light. But he says that we who have only known darkness can become light. And for some of you who think that that is a complete far-fetched idea, I just want to encourage you that may be closer for you than you could ever imagine. Number three, the third thing Jesus is saying here is not everyone accepts the invitation to light. Jesus comes for people who are in darkness He comes because we are living in that every day, but not everybody wants that. We see this in this group of the Pharisees. They continually struggle with and resist and raise objections to what Jesus is saying. In John 8, 13, they raise a question. They say, you're testifying about yourself, so your testimony is not valid. They had a law that, that your testimony in court had to be validated by somebody else. So much so that the word that's used for two witnesses in the Hebrew language was the words two men. Their idea was if you were giving witness 
to something and it was valid, there had to be two of you. So they're like, you're just talking about yourself. What you're saying can't be true. Jesus says, well, my father agrees. There's two of us. But they reject that idea. Then later on, they say, well, where is your father? We don't see him. He can't be real. They've already raised a few chapters before the idea that that Joseph was his father. And then later on in verse 25, they say, who are you? And he says, exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning. Again and again and again, they raise objections to who he is. And at the end, we know from the way the story ends that the Pharisees and the religious leaders reject Jesus. They say no to his invitation. Even though they think they're enlightened and they're actually in the darkness and they need the light that is Jesus, they say no. And the largest barrier for them is their own traditions. Their own ideas of who God is and how God works become a almost like a coat that restricts them from embracing who Jesus is. And I just want to encourage you that I don't think tradition is the problem. A lot of times we give tradition a bad rap in church. We're going to celebrate a tradition in a little bit with communion. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate a tradition, which is baptism. We have our own traditions here every week. Traditions aren't the problem. Yaroslav Pelikan, I think, makes this point clear. He says, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And there's a big difference. It's one thing to say, hey, I am practicing this thing that has been passed down from generation to generation, which helps me to understand and follow Jesus. It's different from saying, I am going to treat my tradition as Jesus. I'm going to elevate my tradition as if it is God. And what we see here is not tradition, but traditionalism. Now, I know a lot of times we tend to bag on the Pharisees. You may even call somebody a Pharisee if you see them and they're very um, restrictive or legalistic. But I think the challenge of the Pharisees is one that we all know too well. Pastor Josh and I were talking. We both went to schools when we were kids that had portables, you know, those portable buildings outside. And the thing about those portables is that they would set them up so they could get really, really dark. So we'd watch a video in our class or a movie, and then we'd walk outside here living in Arizona, and the, the sun would just blind you. You ever had that happen before, where either you walk out of a dark place into the sun and you can't see, or you walk into a dark place and your eyes are adjusting? Last summer, I drove my car into a boulder in one of these moments. I was going down to paddleboard at Watson Lake, and on the back part of the lake, There's a little boat dock, and I wasn't far enough over, and the sun was coming off of the lake, and I banged my van right into a boulder. It was exactly how I wanted to start my birthday weekend. It was awesome. (laughs) Scott, how was your weekend? Well, I drove my car into a boulder, you know? Then I fought my insurance company for two months, and then they drove my car into another, into a, a, some sort of object. I know because the back of my car was covered in green paint. They did more damage than I did. This is not a therapy session. I'm going to move on, but... You can ask my staff. They, they were worried about me for a while. I got so worked up whenever my phone went off. But when you've been walking in darkness, sometimes the very thing that God sends that you need is overwhelming and painful. God's light can be painful in places where you're walking in darkness. His light that is conviction his light that is um, calling you to repentance, 
This is the reason why some of us go back to the darkness. Because the light is just too much. And Jesus says, I am the light. And though it can be overwhelming when you've known darkness to step into his light, his light is what we need to bring healing, cleaning, and freedom. Here's the last thing Jesus says. Without him, darkness is our destiny. Jesus is really clear in this passage. He's explicit, and sometimes you read it, and it's a little bit shocking that without him, we will continue to walk in darkness. In John 8, 24, he says, Therefore I told you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, the light, you will die in your sins. He goes on in verse 28. He says, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he that I do nothing on my own. And just as my father taught me, I say these things. When, they say, when he says, when you lift up the son of man, he's not saying pick him up like he's a conquering coach. What he's saying is when you put me on the cross. And when I'm on the cross and I'm lifted up and you chose to put me there, in that moment, you will know that I am and the one who sent me is with me. He hasn't left me alone because I always do what pleases him. And the good news is, is as he was saying these things, many believed in him. But we know from the rest of the story, if you're reading through John, you'll get to it soon, that that many was not all. There was a large group that said, crucify him. And this is the beginning of a theme that we're going to see over the next few weeks in this series where Jesus begins to talk about a word that our culture doesn't like, exclusivity. Jesus is saying, if you do not believe that I am the one who has come for you as the light of the world, you will die in your sins. Our culture doesn't like that. They say it's intolerant, arrogant, bigoted, hard-hearted, and all of us are vulnerable to being those things. None of us are above those things. We're human. But when Jesus says that, he is the one who has come. And if you don't accept him, you will die in your sins. It is not sinful to stand on that or believe that or affirm that. Those are his words. And in the weeks to come, he's going to repeat that same theme. He's going to say, I am the gate. And there's only one gate. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the one true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is the only one who has come for you in darkness. And that's not a bad thing. It's good news. And I want to encourage you to take some next steps in light of that good news this week. The first one is I want to encourage you to sit down with a friend and ask each other, where are you experiencing darkness? You're like, Scott, that's a brave conversation. I know. And you have to decide, does it matter more that that person thinks highly of you? Or does it matter more that you find freedom from darkness? This morning, I sat down with my wife and talked about where I'm experiencing darkness because I didn't want to get up here and be a hypocrite. 
I have the light, but I still battle darkness. And you do too. And in my experience, people don't think less of you when you share something transparently. They lean in towards you. It's Satan who wants to tell us that no one is going to think anything good of us if we share where where we are in darkness. And that's because he has a vested interest in keeping us in darkness. And friends, you're only as sick as your secrets. And what is in the darkness cannot be healed. It only gets healed when it's brought into the light. So I'd encourage you to have a conversation like that with a trusted friend this week. Number two, I want you to move a candle into your workspace or meal area this week and light it as a reminder that Jesus is your light. Now, I want to encourage you, if you have one of those super aromatic Yankee candles and you work in an office setting, don't be that person. (laughs) And then blame it on me, okay? Maybe choose like an unscented candle for that. But maybe when you sit down at work or maybe you sit down to have dinner as a family, you light a candle and you use it as a reminder that Jesus is your light. That we live in a dark world and we are vulnerable to dark things, but we have someone who said, anyone who believes in me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. And then finally, third, for some of you, today your next step is to accept Jesus' invitation to light and life. For some of you, that's the very first time putting your faith and trust in him. That he is your light and he has come to bring you out of the darkness. And for others of you who already are followers of Jesus, it is accepting his invitation to bring light into that dark place that you have found that is holding you captive and in bondage. Again, this isn't just theory talk about what are the kinds of darkness in the world. This is real life. Some of you in this room right now are are watching online or battling dark, maybe even suicidal thoughts. And you need to accept Jesus' invitation to light and life. That your life matters. That you're important. That there's a reason that God has you here. And that the, the darkness you're feeling is not greater than the light that is Jesus. And you need to tell somebody today that you don't have to walk through that darkness alone. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you've come into the world as light. And we thank you in the places where we find ourselves in darkness, that that darkness is not greater than you. And so Jesus, for the people in this room today who have been walking and experiencing darkness and they're followers of you, we pray that they might have the boldness for 10 seconds to dial a phone or grab a friend or send a text to just say those short but hard words of I'm struggling. I pray for the person who's watching in this room or who's wrestling with really, really dark thoughts. And I pray that they would know that they matter, that hope is possible, and that you can shine light even in that place, that there are people who would come and walk with them and rally around them if they'd share what's going on inside of them. Jesus, I also pray for the people in this room who've never entered into your light. They've only known darkness. They've only walked in darkness, and they need to step into your light. 
you're in the room today or you're watching online and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you sense him working in your heart today. You sense him calling you out of darkness and into the light. And you want to put your faith and trust in him to be your Lord and Savior for the first time. Then I'd encourage you to pray these words with me. Jesus, I'm in the darkness. I'm a sinner. And yet I want your light. Would you come and shine your light in me? Would you cleanse me, forgive me, free me, and make me new? Jesus, I want to follow you. And I want to walk in your light, even as you are light. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. In your name we pray. Amen.